I would like to uh, give you uh, some um, vision uh, about the evolution of the uh, international system of protection of, of human rights. Uh, I am uh, French, I'm working in Strasbourg, I'm the director of a European uh, NGO active with the European Court of Human Rights and active with the United Nations for uh, over 20 years, since uh, 1998. We've been active in something like 60 or 70 cases before the European Court of Human Rights in many procedures before the United Nations. And I, I, what I have seen and what I would like to share with you uh, today uh, is a kind of illusion, maybe a conservative illusion regarding human rights system. Where do we stand in regard to those human rights organizations? Many conservatives have supported the system for decades. And we still, of course, support human rights, most of them. But it seems more and more difficult for conservatives to articulate critics towards the system when we see that this system of protection of human rights goes deeper and deeper into the deconstruction of what we would like to preserve what we would like to conserve, what we would like to transmit in terms of history, culture, values, European values, and so on. Yes, we believed in human rights, and we still believe in individual freedom. But what do we say when we see that this system is used to destroy our culture in some extent, and also to minimize the authority and the sovereignty of national uh, authorities. So we are in a kind of gap. We are in a situation that makes it difficult for us to answer. We don't want to destroy the system of human rights. We appreciate, of course, uh, the Council of Europe, the European Court of Human Rights, the Inter-American Court of Human Rights, the United Nations system of human rights, but we have difficulties to address it. I would just like to, to share with you uh, some facts and interpretation of this situation. First, when we speak of European values, and this is the, the, the topic of this, of this panel, uh, the Council of Europe motto is to, to protect democracy, the rule of law, and human rights. How can we articulate those three concepts, those three values, democracy, rule of law, and human rights? We understand very well how the rule of law and human rights functions together. Because the purpose of the rule of law is to submit the state to the law. And the purpose of the human rights is to submit the law to morals. Because human rights are a set of morals, values, principles. So together, the association of the rule of law and human rights is a way to submit the national state to the law and the law to the morals. And moreover, the rule of law is a way to submit politicians, politics, to the judge. The rule of law is also a way to submit national politics to international law through international jurisdictions and their incorporation within national case law. 
and then law. So the rule of law is a process, a formal process, that submits national politics to the judges. And human rights is a set of values that fills the rule of law system of values and determines to which values the judges shall submit the national politic. So both together, rule of law and human rights work perfectly together. We have a system that contains the values and makes sure that those values are respected worldwide. It is a system that can be universal because it is rational. It can be universal because it is perfectly rational. It works well. But we have a problem. What do we do with democracy? This system, in fact, does not really need democracy. Because you have the values, you have the functioning of the system, you have the laws, you have the control of the laws, you limit the politics, you don't really need uh, democracy because democracy is national. Democracy is rooted into a territory, a people. Democracy needs sovereignty. There cannot be any democracy without sovereignty because democracy is the exercise of, democracy, of sovereignty. So what do we do with democracy? And we can see clearly that uh, democracy, this value, which is more than a value, it is a system, uh, its value is minimized, increasingly minimized uh, within European institutions. This is very clear here in Brussels. We don't really need democracy. We just need a kind of parliament to debate and be the democratic component of the European institutions. But the European institutions are not, of course, democratic. Only the parliament is, in some extent, democratic, but there, is, there would need to be a sovereignty, as I said, to have a real democracy. And at the Council of Europe, we can see the same. Um, the Venice Commission, so the, of, the, of, the famous commission of the Council of Europe, which provides um, doctrine on constitutional law, says that democracy implies the participation or the involvement of the people. Not the sovereignty, but the involvement. The European Court of Human Rights, which is supposed to protect the democratic society, says as well that democracy uh, also implies some participation of the population but cannot be reduced to the sovereignty of the people because, as you know, there are now this other vision of democracy, which is a set of values. So yes, democracy uh, is minimized into our system. Our political system um, is now, can pretend now to be purely rational, to be uh, potentially uh, universal, and democracy is minimized. It is minimized because we consider democracy as dangerous. So who can be now the players? Who can be now the actors of the system? Because the national parliaments are on the side, they participate into the system, but they are not central into the system. 
What is important to understand is that the purpose of the system we have built after the Second World War is to establish a rational, global system of governance, starting here for us in Europe, but unified universally, because it is based on reason. And today it is the global actors, the global players, that share this same vision that can play at this universal level and they can participate into the system of protection of human rights. This is why and this is how we see an increasing role and influence of private foundations, private companies, business, big business, involved in the human rights system worldwide, in Europe and at the United Nations. After working for 20 years, along with the European Court of Human Rights, I mean, I've seen that the system I mean, as a problem in itself. And so we started to look not only to the case law, but to look into the system. How does those institutions function? And we could see the important influence, even the grip of some foundations, some transnational private actors within the system. And what I want to tell you is that, yes, we have built a system to minimize democracy, to minimize the risk of democracy. We wanted a system that can be rational and universal. Now we have the institutions, but what we did not expect, maybe, is that there are other players that are not at all democratic, are based on money, on finances, but are fully rational and fully universal, fully liberal, and now they associate themselves with those international institutions. And they can run it because there is no difficulty. We can see that those United Nations institutions accept perfectly the influence, the input of those rational, universal, private players. So what can we see today? We can see today, and most people know that already, you know, the fact that the Gates Foundation is a main founder, private founder, with more than 500 million dollars to the World Health Organization. This is well known. So we can see a private foundation being a major actor of the World Health Organization, but this also can be witnessed in Strasbourg at the Council of Europe. You know, the main private donors to the Council of Europe is Microsoft. Microsoft finances the Council of Europe. The Open Society Foundations of George Soros finance the Council of Europe. So this is the same as the United Nations. We have published two reports. One report, and uh, we crossed the red line doing that, I can tell you. One report was about the European Court of Human Rights. First, we looked to the judges, because I've always been looking a bit to the background of the judges. And one day, I, I considered it was enough. We had to publish something about this, because everybody knew it those who are working in the court, but nobody could speak about it. So we published a report looking at where are coming those judges. And it's not a surprise. Out of the 100 judges that were in place uh, in the past 10 years, 22, 22 are coming from private foundations that are financed by the Open Society. 12 of those 22 judges are themselves former staff or member of the board or employees of the Open Society Foundations. 
The others are coming from other liberal organizations, such as the Helsinki Committee, for example. Those judges, those 22 judges, we have also looked how do they behave, because they come from organizations, from foundations that are active before the European Court of Human Rights. And what do we see? Very often, those judges receive cases brought by their former organization or their former employer. So you have, for example, a judge who was a member of the board of the Open Society Foundations, and once he's a judge, he receives a case introduced or supported by the Open Society Foundation. And what do you think he will do? In 10 years, 88 times, 88 times we have seen a judge ruling on a case in Strasbourg introduced or supported by his own former employer or foundation. So, of course, this is a problem. The same thing happens in the United uh, Nations. In the United Nations, we have uh, explored the situation of the United Nations experts, what we call special reporters. You know there are a large number of special reporters. They are uh, not paid. They are supposedly not paid. And we have been looking to the system of financing of this, to the financing of this uh, mechanism. And we have uh, first seen that they are not supposed to receive money, except from the UN, uh, but some of them do. Uh, in the past years, past five years, uh, some of them have received at least, we could find, $11 million from the Open Society or the Ford Foundation mainly. They don't have to declare it. They use this money, they accept this money to do their work at the UN as a UN expert. Often we can see that the money is given at the condition that the experts do a specific task. We have discussed with 28 of those experts doing interviews. Some of them who refuse the money tells us that this is a kind of corruption. But it is also important for their career. So this is the situation I would like to, to finish on. We have built a very rational system promoting values. Those values are rational, universal, individualistic, and liberal. We minimize the influence and the role of national politicians, but instead now we maximize, we let room for rational international private players that can use those institutions to implement their values. I thank you.